so my dad taught me a, a lot, and he might have had a dull student, but he was a good teacher, and even I managed to uh, pick up a few things. And once when I was getting ready, I was just a teenager at the time, I, I was getting ready to change the brakes on my car, and he told me, he says, do one wheel at a time. And I asked him why, and he says, well, if I forget how things go back together, which is likely because I'm not a mechanic, I could look at another wheel, and, uh, and uh, one which I hadn't touched, and I could figure it out. I'd have a pattern. I'd have an example to work on. And sure enough, that's what happened. I got the wheel all apart, and I really did think I knew how it would go back together, but I didn't. I just couldn't remember. I forgot And so I looked at another wheel on the same side, and I figured it out. And so having an example or a pattern really is a good thing, and not just in auto mechanics. I mean, a good example can help you in any area of life. And one of the most important areas of life for those of us who know Christ is prayer. And I think every Christian probably acknowledges this, though many struggle with putting it into practice. And that, of course, didn't take God by surprise. And so throughout the Bible, uh, he's given us many examples of prayer that can help us to learn to pray, to help us in our prayer life. And when Jesus came, he gave us a pattern specifically for his people, which well, uh, outlines prayer for us. And some people refer to it as the Lord's Prayer and others as the Our Father, and so others as the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. But however you describe it, it came from Jesus and it was given to the church. And that prayer can be recited word for word, though that's not necessary, but, but if it is, then it should never be done mindlessly. It's meant to be a model prayer, a pattern, but that doesn't mean that every prayer, every time, will have all of these elements in it. You know, Peter's prayer, Lord, save me, when he began to sink after walking on the water, was a good prayer for that situation. Stephen's prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, as he was being stoned to death as a witness for Christ, was then and is now inspirational. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, spoken by that thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Open the door into paradise for him, and it has been a lifeline to eternity for countless others down through the ages. And all of those were good prayers, as simple as as they were. And this model prayer, I, I think, is probably best understood as describing what our prayer life ought to look like. So sometimes I'm in a place where I just pray for my daily bread, and other times I'm asking for forgiveness. But if you took all of the prayers together that I prayed this past week, I would hope that they would reflect this model at least to some degree. And if they don't, then I I know where I I need to make some improvements. And and if you look at this prayer, you're going to see three, and, and let's just call them movements or elements in this prayer. And so first, Jesus tells us uh, in this prayer who we are praying to, and we talked about that last week. We're praying to God, and he is our Father in heaven, our because we belong to something greater than ourselves, and Father because he makes us his children. And he's in heaven, so he's above us, he's over all of us. And so we need to know who we're praying to, 
too, and, and I know, and I think you know too, that that's really a lifelong, continual process of growing and learning, and yet what we do know of him now, if it's real knowledge, is enough for now. But Jesus tells us first who it is we're praying to. And then after knowing who we're praying to, Jesus tells us to pray for three things, all of which concern God and eternity. And that's what we're going to look at today. And then three weeks from now, we're going to look at another three things in this prayer that we're praying for, all of which are are temporal in nature. That is, they have, uh, in large part, to do with this life. And so our prayer life should reflect this model which Jesus gave us. Now, there are two more things I want to point out about this prayer before we go on. And the first one is, is that everything that we ask for here in this prayer, we are asking God to do. But we also have a part to play in making that happen. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to forget that. We're asking God to act but we have a part that we're to do too. And secondly, there is a kind of an urgency expressed in this prayer. I don't think it comes through quite as clearly as in the English, but in the Greek, all of these requests aren't so much requests, but, but commands, not, not commands to God. We're not commanding him. They're third-person imperatives. We don't even have that in the English language. And so the best way to think about these things is that we are asking God to make these things happen. And that's where the urgency comes in. And so with all of that in mind uh, and knowing who we're praying to, the first thing mentioned by Jesus uh, in this example has to do with God and eternal things. And from that we learn that it should be in our hearts and it ought to come out in our prayers that we want, and it should be that, God would be honored by all here on earth as it is in heaven. So verse 9 says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, we are asking God that he make his name honored on this earth that it should be honored by all, and we want him to make that happen. Specifically, we're asking that God's name be honored. And, and I think that might uh, maybe seem a little quaint to us, but if you think about it, uh, we really do get that. You see, no one wants his or her name dragged through the mud. We all want to have a good name. We all want a good reputation. And when I was a young guy, before I was a Christian, there was a girl who, who was telling people that I had made an obscene phone call to her house. Now, and maybe with today with cell phones, it would have been easy enough to prove one way or another, but not back then. And, and I don't doubt that she received such a call, but whoever did it, it was not me. I did a lot of stupid things back then, but that was not one of them. And I confronted her with, about it. I vigorously defended myself, and it bothered me. I can't tell you how much it bothered me to, to think that anyone would think that I would do that. You see, my name, my reputation mattered, and so does God's name. So does his reputation. But, but this prayer is asking for more than that. You see, there are certain names when, when you hear them, that you associate with good. Uh, when I was just a little boy, I don't think it's true today, but when I was a little boy, uh, the name George Washington evoked good thoughts. 
and, and not because he admitted to chopping down a cherry tree and that he couldn't tell a lie. It, it really makes me sad that that, that 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 is almost what most people, all the people know about him, that little fable. Well, here was a man who said no when people were entreating him to become the king of the nation that would, would surely form afterwards. And it seems to me that's something to remember and to honor. And the name Abraham Lincoln still arouses that in our nation. It's a sense of something good when we hear that name because of its association with the... Um, with the abolition of slavery. And I think there are a lot of people today trying to destroy even his reputation. But still today, people hear that and these good things come up. And the reason those names are honored is because of the person behind them and because of what they stood for. So when we're asking God's, that God's name be honored, what we really mean is we want God himself to be honored because of all the good he's done and because of who he is. Now, we're not talking here about not using the Lord's name as a curse word. Of course, no one should do that. But that's not what this is about. We are asking for something positive. We want God's name to be honored. So if you are sitting in the bleachers at Warden Field at the Naval Academy and you are watching a parade, when the flag of the United States of America passes in front of you, everybody stands up and you put your hand over your heart. And if you're in uniform or a prior military, you salute. That, that's what we want to happen. We want something like that to happen in the hearts of people when they hear the name of our God because they're reminded of him and of who he is and of the good things that he's done. That's what we're asking God to do in our world, to make his name honored. In fact, we ask that his name would be hallowed. And that Greek word means to be made holy or to be holy or to be set apart. But I really love that English translation. I like that word, hallowed. Um, even, even though it might be a kind of a little old-fashioned, because it carries with it in our, in our minds and our hearts, it carries with it uh, the sacredness and consecration and, and being set apart for honor. You know, it was a word that Abraham Lincoln used in the Gettysburg Address and talking about the battlefield and the cemetery which they were dedicating to those who had given their lives to this nation so that it would continue as a nation. Abraham Lincoln said these words, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. Brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or to detract. Lincoln's words there give us a sense of the real meaning of that word, hallow. Something which is hallowed is something worth dying for. It's something worth living for. It's something which, in a sense, demands our allegiance. That's what we want for God's name, for it to be hallowed, for people to be willing to live for it and die for it, to, to be completely committed to it. And Lincoln's words also tell us, uh, help us understand something else about our prayer. You know, the men who fought and those who died there had already consecrated that field. 
Lincoln and others were there that day, and they were acknowledging. They were recognizing that fact. They were, in a sense, adding their amen to it. And God's name already is hallowed. And what we're asking is that we and others can add to that. That's the first thing that we pray for, and it's eternal in nature. And then it should be in our hearts that after we know who we're praying for, and we're praying for these eternal things, and we prayed that God's name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven, then it should be in our hearts, and it should come out in our prayers that we want, and it should be that God's kingdom would fill our world. And so verses 9 and 10, this then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And when we pray that prayer, we're asking that God's kingdom would fill our world. Now, we've just made a kind of a switch in our house. Uh, we, we've stopped using the uh, Keurig single cup coffee maker, and we've taken a step back in time. And we've started using a percolator, right? <laughs> and there's something about perk coffee that's really good. And, uh, and I always make the coffee in the morning, and I make a whole pot. I make enough for Ann and I both to drink. But I get up earlier than she does. And, you know, if you leave coffee on the heat, you know, if you leave it in the percolator and that heat's on, it affects the flavor dramatically. It makes it, I don't know, bitter or rancid, or I just call it the old coffee taste. So, so I don't do that. So I make the coffee. And then I pour it into an insulated carafe so it stays hot and the flavor's minimally affected. I do that because I love my wife. And, um, and, 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 and to really make that work, though, right, I have to preheat the carafe. So I fill it to the very tip top with hot, hot water out of the tap. And, and you can actually not just see the water, but you can hear the water rising in that carafe. In fact... I, I, it, the higher it gets, the higher that sound is, the higher the pitch. I don't even have to look at it. I can just hear, and I know when it's full, and I can turn the tap off. And, 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 and I suppose if I really wanted that carafe to be as hot as it could be, I'd let the hot water pour over the outside too. See, that's kind of what we're doing here. We're asking God to fill our world, our whole world, with his kingdom to the point of overflowing. And, and, and as that happens, you know what will happen? We'll see it. We'll hear it. We'll know it's happening in our world. And, and, and if we are paying attention, we'll know it and hear it. And I think if you don't know that his kingdom is advancing, maybe I think it's because we aren't aware of it. We're not praying about it as we should. But if we were praying for it, if it were in our hearts that God's kingdom should come, that we want it to come, I think we'd be aware of those things uh, that were happening. We'd, we'd see it, we'd hear it, we'd know it, or, or at least we'd be more aware of it. And, and so you, you pray, right, for missionaries? And, and maybe, and I hope you are, you're praying for VBS. That's, that's all part of that. But is it part of your regular prayer life? I, I don't mean necessarily every day. But, but you pray that way regularly. Are, are you wanting God's kingdom to advance? Does it affect the way you think about the world that we live in? It, it, you see, if we're faithful to that, if we added this idea to our prayer life, uh, I think we'd be opening and open ourselves up to the working in spirit 
our hearts would kind of get in line with our prayers and we begin to see his kingdom advancing around us in this world. And then the prayer, thy kingdom come, would change us. I want to think more about what it means that God's kingdom is advancing. Before I poured that coffee into it or the hot water into that, uh, that, uh, that carafe, you know, if I were to show that insulated pot, because that's what a carafe really is, if I showed that to a little child, before I poured anything into it and I asked him or her uh, what was in the pot, you know, they'd say, they'd say nothing, right? But you and I know that there's not nothing in the pot. We, we know there's air in that pot, right? But when it's filled with water, it displaces the air. And see, what we're asking for, uh, we ask for the kingdom of God to come. We're asking that anything that is not his kingdom, anything that is not good would be displaced or that it would be so changed that it could be part of his kingdom. So we love our nation. I love the United States of America. I know many of you too here, but I have to tell you, if we don't see revival in our, in our nation, if our country doesn't turn to the Lord, it's going to be at some point displaced by the kingdom, and it should be. Well, we know that, and we know that's what we're praying. You see, we are committed, or should be, committed wholeheartedly to his kingdom, whatever that means. And then, too, before I put the hot water in it, you know, that, that craft's just a cold pot with nothing good in it, right? And that hot water changes it and gets it ready for what it was made for, or in our house anyway, why we bought it. It gets it ready for the coffee, right? And so when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we want it to fill our world. But our prayers are also getting our world ready for what it was made for, the coming return of Jesus Christ, our King. You know, Second Peter 3, 11 and 12 says that by the way you and I live, we speed or hasten the coming of Christ. And this prayer indicates that by the way we pray, we are speeding the coming of God's King. You see, our prayers really do matter. When we pray that God's kingdom is advances, we are helping it to advance while we pray it. I've uh, probably stretched my illustration of the uh, coffee and the carafe uh, too far, but since I've already done, overdone it, let me make one more point with that, if I could. Um, when the coffee is finally perked, when it's ready to drink, the hot water has to be emptied out of the carafe and the coffee put in it. And the time is coming when Christ returns, that a change will be made. It will be like having our world turned upside down and emptied of all that's bad only to then be filled with God's goodness. When the skies will be rolled up like a scroll and the stars will fall from the heavens, when God will live with us and we will live with him and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's what we're praying for. When we pray for the kingdom of God to come, that it would be filling our world now until it overflows. Now, before we go on, there's one more thing that I just want to make sure you understand. Uh, we've talked about this a lot of times here, so many of you already will get this, but some of you may have never heard it, and some maybe still haven't grasped it, but the kingdom of God is both now 
and not yet. It's now because God is ruling in our hearts. It's not yet because the whole world has not submitted to or been brought under his rule. And even in our own hearts, his rule is not yet complete because sin still lives in us. So the kingdom of God is already here. And we're praying that it would advance, that it would fill our world. And of course, we have a part to play in that. So after knowing who we're praying to, we're going to pray for those three things that are eternal. This is a model prayer. This is, this is what our prayer life ought to look like. We're to pray that God's name would be hallowed. And we're to pray that his kingdom would fill our earth. And then finally, the last thing that we pray about, which is eternal in this particular model prayer, uh, it, that should be in our hearts, that should come out in our prayers, is that it, we want, and it should be, that God would, uh, people would do what God wants them to do. So verses 9 and 10 again. Uh, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What we're asking for here is that people everywhere would do what God wants them to do. And before we can uh, look at that, though, we really need to understand how this is different from what we just prayed for when we prayed that his kingdom would come. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of overlap between those th two things. Both of them involve his will, and they're put by side by side in our text, and there's a correlation between them. But, but the, the kingdom coming references what God is doing in our world to bring that to pass, while doing his will is our response and the response of others to his work in this world. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand that? I mean, you could think of it this way. The church represents the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom's larger than the church, but it's not less than it. The kingdom would include the Old Testament saints as well. But for our purposes, we can say that the church represents the kingdom now. And Christ is doing what? He is building his church. And so the kingdom is advancing as he builds his church, but we cooperate with him in what he's doing. So we may not realize it. We may have never thought of it this way, but God is advancing his kingdom in our world uh, through VBS here. We may have never thought of it that way, but that's exactly what he's doing. He's taking this VBS, and he is advancing his kingdom in the world. And you... As you serve, you're doing what he wants you to do. You're doing his will. The two things work together. And, of course, as we do that, as we're participating in, in that, we are advancing the kingdom. But he's the mover. We're just the helper. So, so we're praying that his kingdom would come, that God would be at work in our world, that our world would be, be filling with his kingdom, and his kingdom would... Drive all of that out, which is not good. And, and, and so it will be changed and become more like what he wants. Every revival there has ever been in this country or anywhere in the world, the whole culture, the whole society is affected by it. And we're also praying that people everywhere would start doing and keep on doing what God wants them to do. That his will would be done as his kingdom is advancing. 
So what is his will? <laughs> what is his will that we should do it, that people should do that? And of course, that's a big topic, right? It's a subject of many messages and teachings, but, but I can give you a couple generalities anyway, right? We can say that God wants us to honor his name. He wants his kingdom to advance. He wants all people everywhere to repent and turn from their sin. He wants the gospel taken to the farthest corners of the world. He wants us to take it across the street. He, he wants that we obey him. He desires that we should pray, that we should love, that we should do good. Those are general things that we ought to be doing, right? But we also need to understand something else. And that is he has specific will for each of us. So I've been called to be a pastor. At least I better have been because of where I'm standing right now. But maybe you were called to be an engineer or scientist or maybe a homemaker and a mother, which may be about as important a job as you can have of today in our world is demeaned to our national shame. But since there is such a will, we ought to be seeking it, right? We ought to be asking us, asking God to lead us in his way, in his will, in what he wants us to do. And not just in the big things like, oh, God wants me to be an engineer. But what I should do today. How do I serve you? Where do I work? Is this promotion a good thing or not? Should I say yes? Should I say no? You see, God, the kingdom of God is moving in big ways in our world. I, I hope you know what's happening in our world. You know, there are places today where entire mosques have converted to Christ. The fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran. It's an amazing thing. So, so the kingdom is moving in big ways in our world while doing his will is very personal and intimate. I love that about this prayer. It combines the grand with the everyday. It combines God's work with our response. It acknowledges his priority while recognizing the part he allows us to play in all of it. We want, and it's a good thing, we want people to do what God wants, that his will should be done. And so after knowing who we're praying to, we're to pray for those two things, right? We're to pray that God's name would be hallowed. We're to pray that his kingdom would fill our world. We're to pray that uh, ordinary, everyday people like you and I should do what God wants. And that brings us to the last phrase, which we really haven't looked at. Uh, you know the one that says, uh, on earth, as it is in heaven. You know that phrase applies to all three of those things. It doesn't just apply to his will being done. I, of course it applies there, right? But it also applies to his name being honored in all the world. It applies to his kingdom advancing on the earth, just as it's already at place in heaven. We want those things to happen on earth in the same way that they happen in heaven. And you know what that means? It means total commitment. And we're praying that the hearts of people throughout this world, including ours, would surrender to God. Uh, our prayers in these matters are important. 
They really do matter. When we ask, when we seek, when we knock, it matters. And we are praying that eternal things are changed when God's people are praying. And, and we want that to happen everywhere. But do you know there is one place in this world uh, where we have a little more say? One place where we bear a greater responsibility than we do elsewhere? And that's right here. Right here in our own hearts. Everything we pray for, for our world, we're also praying for for ourselves. When, when we pray this way, we're praying for total commitment. We're not off the look, let off the hook. Our commitment must be complete. Praying as God wants us to pray. When we pray, a, a prayer life reflects this model. And, and, and that prayer life is maybe the first Maybe the most important step to making that total commitment. Our Father in heaven, this is what we pray. Our Father in heaven, cause your name to be hallowed here and now just as it is in heaven. Help me to honor you and show others the Advance your kingdom in our world and may it find its way into every corner of the globe so that people from every tribe and nation proclaim the name of Christ until he returns. And Lord, help me to come alongside of you to advance your kingdom in our world. And then, Lord, cause your will to be done everywhere by everyone, including me. And so change me. And so change us. So change our hearts that we are completely committed to the eternal. That we will deny the self, take up our crosses, and follow you every day, anywhere, anytime, at whatever cost. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.